Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This podcast is brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. For the latest in news in and around Fishers, Indiana, check out my news blog, LarryInFishers.com. Sign up for my email alerts. Whenever I post a story, you can find that right on the blog itself. Also, follow my Twitter account at Larry in Fishers. Mayor Scott Fadness is wrapping up his fifth year as mayor of Fishers. What were the high points in the past year and what can we expect in 2020? I spoke with Mayor Fadness during the afternoon of Monday, December 23rd. I'm at Fisher City Hall, and as the year draws to an end, uh, I'm talking to Mayor Scott Fadness so we can talk a little bit about what's happened this year, what may be in store for us in 2020. So, Mayor, welcome once again. It's not exactly North Dakota weather, but it is uh, a warm Christmas. I, I, I saw the National Weather Service just uh, send a Twitter message that this may be the warmest Christmas season in this part of Indiana in 37 years. Pretty wild. Uh, I was out yesterday with my sons playing in the front yard, and uh, it was great snowman weather, but the snowman, he didn't fare so well over the morning, so (laughs) it won't last long. Well, let's talk about a few things, and I'm just going to give you a couple of open-ended questions, and we'll we'll dig into this a little further. Just uh, give me a brief summation of accomplishments you saw for the city, in, in your view, during 2019. Well, I think... 2019 was the um, year where we really finished up a number of major initiatives that had already been announced or been talked about. Clearly, the Nickel Plate Trail, uh, finalizing the ability to land bank that um, property so that we could build the trail was completed in 2019, and now our folks have been designing and hope to be under construction next year. Economic development, uh, we finished the year really strong. A lot of capital investment, a lot of new jobs coming to the city of Fishers. So momentum continued there. We see the opening of the yard, which is an exciting new development with lots of lots of restaurants that people seem to be enjoying. So I think there's a lot of vibrancy on the physical environment. And then we've made some real progress on mental health. We've implemented a lot of the things that we were really focused on, passionate about. We have our EMS duty officer now going to all mental health runs. And I think we're starting to really build some momentum in our Parks and Recreation Department, too, along kind of what the vision is for going forward. So all in all, I thought it was a very productive year. A lot of changes always in the city of Fishers. But uh, I'm proud of the work that was accomplished in 2019. We'll try to dig down on, on, sure. and, and drill down on some of those. But before I do that, just uh, look out on 2020. Um Anything you, in general, believe you will be working on, striving for as the new year starts? Sure. So to be clear, 2020 will be a year of building. There's going to be a lot of building going on in the city of Fishers. You're going to see First Internet Bank under construction, the new hotel in downtown. The property to the north will be under construction. There's two or three more office buildings under construction currently. You have State Road 37 being built, a complete reconstruction of 96th Street. So the city of Fishers will be under construction, a lot of building, a lot of growth. In all actuality, I anticipate spending the first six months of next year in Fishers around things that actually aren't really related to the physical construction of our city. I um, want to spend a lot of time 
around the kind of building the sense of community, culture, our people, uh, our people feeling connected in our community. It's things like that that are really intriguing to me. I I always knew that we had to build the physical environment of our city. I knew we had to bring jobs here. That That's part and parcel to the long-term financial sustainability of our city. But now there's a people infrastructure that I think is equally as critical that I'll be turning more of my attention to uh, in 2020. How challenging is that when you've got a city that's approaching 95, 97,000 in population, much different place. It was under 10,000 when I moved here in 1991. So uh, what are the challenges of trying to bring a sense of community to a community that is growing that large? It's very challenging. In fact, if we think about the suburbs, the the very nature of a suburban community, a lot of people first look for a home that they can afford that is close enough to their job, that has good schools, and whatever geographic boundary it might reside in is really not the point. So um, whether they end up in Westfield, Fishers, Carmel, uh, even Greenwood, uh, Plainfield, probably doesn't matter to them nearly as much as the home, the proximity to their job, the educational system. What my job is and what our organization's job is, is once you're here, how do we have them truly fall in love with the city that they happen to be living in? And that work is more and more difficult today as people retreat back to their to their cul-de-sacs. And um, so we're going to we're gonna work a lot on how do we draw people out of their neighborhoods? How do we get them engaged in their community? And how do we make them gain some sense of pride and ownership of the city that they call home? One major issue that's been left unfinished, and this is something you've talked about a great deal in, in 2019, is the issue between Carmel and Fishers on the local option income tax. I believe your figure that you gave us la- uh, earlier this year was there was a $21 million gap between the two cities, even though the uh, populations are similar. Maybe we've actually got ahead of them. I'm not sure. I haven't seen the latest numbers. But do you plan to go back to the state house, talk with lawmakers? Where is this whole issue going in your view? Well, Representative uh, Todd Houston, soon to be the new Speaker of the House, and couldn't be more excited for Todd. He's a friend, and uh, I think he's been a great representative for the city of Fishers. Uh, he has, He's aware of this issue and has really led the way, saying, look, Hamilton County, you all need to come to the table and, and identify solutions to this. And so we are we are in discussions with, with Carmel and Westfield and Noblesville to try to figure out a more equitable way forward. I'm cautiously optimistic that hopefully we can find some sort of solution that um, doesn't um, adversely impact any particular community too much or too drastically, while at the same time recognizing the fact that we have we have these inequities. And um, thanks to Representative Houston's leadership, we've gotten those folks to the table, and we've had some pretty productive conversations to date. And uh, Representative soon-to-be speaker, I, I guess a speaker-elect is the correct term. He, I talked to him earlier today before speaking to you, and, and his, he was clear his preference was to have an agreement amongst the communities. He could easily then uh, run yep. through the legislature if all the communities are in agreement. 
one uh, particular issue we haven't really heard a lot about in the last year compared to years before, and that's the Geist Waterfront Park. Where does mm-hmm. that stand? What do you see that happening in that regard in the next year? Great so. question. So uh, we've really worked hard on the design of the park. I think we're very close on that. We're we're looking at numbers in terms of costs. We're trying to understand phasing. It's a it's a large piece of property. So we're trying to identify what phases we should do and what makes the most sense from a constructability standpoint. I would like to be able to start construction uh, next year, although I will tell you, in dealing with the lake, there's a tremendous amount of permitting that goes into being able to uh, affect anything on that shoreline. So I would not be surprised if next year is a year of design and permitting, and then we're looking more at a 2021 year uh, timeframe for construction. But I, I do think there's um, a compelling vision for the for the park, uh, and and we want to see it get going sooner rather than later. Speaking of the Geist Lake, uh, there is an effort ongoing. I know you've been supportive of it to create a conservancy district. Just covering it and talking to the various people involved, it seems like everybody agrees that there this work needs to be done. The only open question is who has to pay for it, which is always a very big issue. One group wants only the landowners facing the lake to pay for it. Others who are uh, trying to create the districts, they know people in the neighborhoods adjacent to the, the lake should pay for it. So that's that process has started. Where do you see that headed? Well, the, there's some legislative work that needs to be done down the state legislature. They did file their petition, so it is in process, so to speak, for the Conservancy District. Uh, I do, do think it'll be a dialogue out in that community. It'll be a very... Um, I think it'll be very germane to a lot of folks uh, from their perspective as to what is the appropriate level of taxation for people who don't live directly on the water. I think that you you characterize it correctly that I think that is going to probably be the biggest source of concern from the residents out there. I do support some conservancy district out there. This is an asset that so many different homes derive value from the fact that they're in this area and that it is a wonderful natural amenity. I also recognize the fact that citizens doesn't necessarily view their job as making sure that you can water ski on the lake. And they're the, the utility that, run, that gets water from the lake. Yeah. And they're the ones that technically own the lake. Mm-hmm. And, and their point has been as long as we have the quantity and the quality of water that we need to meet the drinking uh, requirements of residents for the next 30 or 40 years. That's their fiduciary responsibility to their ratepayers. Making sure that you can water ski or you, if you want to control the aquatic vegetation isn't necessarily what they believe the ratepayers should be paying for. And so you kind of have this scenario where you have this wonderful natural amenity that does require management, it does require maintenance. It just depends on which stakeholder you're talking about, what kind of maintenance needs to be done. Um, there's going to be a lot of conversation about this going forward. I do believe it's an asset that needs to be managed. I do believe there are costs that come with it. And I do believe the people that benefit directly or indirectly from the lake should pay that. And uh, that's what I think they're attempting to do. And well, from what I have heard, again, and talking to as many people as I have, and I plan on digging into this more next year, it appears to me that the biggest danger is Geist Lake could go toxic. Now, what does that mean? If, if a lake goes toxic... Cleaning it up becomes hugely expensive if you can do it at all. There have been some cases in nearby states where that's actually happened. So even when I talk to people who may argue about how it must be funded, almost unanimously they agree we do not want that 
lake to go toxic. And if nothing happens, that is a danger. It's a pot. I mean, it's out there. I think more likely a, a challenge is just the amount of sediment that's filling in the lake. If you look to the east side of the Oleo Road Bridge, you can clearly see how, especially if you look at uh, sat satellite imagery of that lake over the last 50 to 60 years, I mean, it has just completely filled in the east side of Oleo Bridge. And the amount of sediment that continues to pour in is a real challenge. And so I do think, regardless of whether you think it may or may not go toxic, the amount of there's going to be areas that just won't be navigable by mm -hmm. boat uh, in the not-too-distant future unless we have a routine maintenance program for that lake. Um, let me point to something you've already mentioned briefly. That's your mental health initiative. This is something you began before you became mayor, and have um, and, and I have to give you full credit. Uh, you have stayed with this project throughout your, your, your term as mayor and, and continuing into your next term. So um, you, you spoke about some of the emergency management yep. people having having a mental health uh, uh, professionals available, which is a very important uh, thing going forward. Talk a little more broadly about where you wanted to go when you started this, where you're at, and where you'd like to go from here with this whole initiative of mental health. There's so many different components of it. Sure. Uh, just summarize to the best of your ability yeah. where it's been and where it's going. Well, it's been a long journey. Uh, I think to start off with, we didn't know where we wanted to go. We knew we had a problem, and we weren't addressing it in any discernible fashion. What we wanted to do was cr create a comprehensive approach to dealing with mental illness in a way that was substantive and, and systemic. I think we've accomplished a number of those items, whether you're talking about changing response protocols in police and fire, whether you're talking about now having integrated mental health services in every one of our school's uh, buildings, which... The stats from that are truly extraordinary, the work that's being done there, and I believe our kids are truly being served and, and, and for the betterment of the entire community, frankly, by getting those kids the help that they need. So I think there's there's been real progress on that front. Now, I will tell you, you know, this year we had 16 uh, working fires uh, in the city of Fishers. We've had 400 um, mental and behavioral health emergency runs. So it gives you a ratio of what we're dealing with. And uh, I was really hopeful. Our suicide numbers were down as of the September, October timeframe, but uh, we uh, had two in one weekend uh, a few weeks back. And then we had another one uh, a week and a half ago at a hotel here in Fishers. And so our numbers are still, they're, they're still up there, but um, I do believe we're getting a lot more people help earlier. And that's part of going into next year as we think about building a sense of community and a sense of pride. If you want to get abstract about it, I honestly think it's, it also helps with mental health. I mean, I think people having meaningful relationships, real human connections to other people is a, is a preventative measure around depression and anxiety and some of the issues that our, our community wrestles with. And so we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to create an environment where you are more likely to have interacted with other human beings in meaningful ways. And that sounds crazy, but uh, honestly, in today's world, I think it's vital. Without your initiative, I'm not sure there would be high school clubs dealing with mental health. No. And when you talk about community, I mean, what I have been seeing, and I've talked to uh, Brooke Lawson, their yeah. mental health coordinator, a number of times, is that what th their idea is 
uh, school is most certainly a community. You see each other every school day. It's not just the teachers, but the students interacting away from the staff. And, you know, that's where you can identify. I, I'm worried about this person. Something may be wrong right. with them. Well, you know, I've said this a number of times. The school environment is what gives me hope that uh, we can get ahead of this, this next generation. Maybe we can make some real progress. The adults in our community are where it's very, very difficult. It's uh, They don't come to school every day at 8 o'clock. They're not in a controlled environment. Uh, you just don't have the same social networks, as you said, in the, that you do in the school system. So it's the adults that are really difficult. And during the holiday season, we know that a lot of people struggle. And, uh, and so we're certainly cognizant of that and uh, are willing to help in any way that we can with anybody that might be hurting out there. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a real challenge. You've already mentioned this, but I've been working on the top 20 news stories for Fisher's uh, little... little uh, what was number one? Number one. Should I, should I reveal it yes, here or not? Yes, please. Uh, number one it was the city election. Ah. And number two, just so you know, and it was a struggle which was going to be number one and number two. Number two was the debate on the non-discrimination policy mm, at the HSC yeah. schools. But there are a lot of other stories. Yeah. But one of the stories that's in the top ten is this whole development that you announced in, in the downtown area that's take, right. beginning to take shape. You have, as you mentioned, first Internet Bank headquarters. You have offices. You have a hotel going in. You have a, a number a, a parking garages. Yep. That's all part of the package. So I guess my question to you is, do you think you will have the needed infrastructure in place as these projects move toward completion this year? I believe so. You know, First Internet Bank, the hotel, and the apartments are probably a 24-month build. So even if we're building all year this year, they're not going to be done by the end of this upcoming year. I think it's hard to emphasize enough to people the the, the scale of development and construction that will happen this upcoming year will rival anything we've seen to date. So it's going to change the landscape of downtown. It's going to change the landscape of our city. I personally think that's exciting. I know some that maybe don't, uh, but I think that evolution, that change, is is a really great thing for the long term for our community. I do think we'll have the infrastructure. We've been very thoughtful about that. We're building South Street. Um, we're working on the things that people don't even think about, like sewer and stormwater infrastructure is going up land and road right now. So a lot of that is being worked on, and, and uh, I think we got a good team carefully planning that um, so that we can make sure that this is truly a value-add to our city. And I've been in some meetings. People would be very surprised if they really dug into this. The uh, sewer and water system downtown is not a, a simple system. Not You've had all. to do some work on it. And, and kind of dovetailing what you just said, when this is completed, it won't be 2020, but when it's completed, the hotel's done, Internet Bank, and all the other uh, projects along 116th Street that are underway. I know we've seen artist renderings, but tell me how you think the feel of that part of the city is going to change. Uh, it will profoundly change with the Nickel Plate Trail also running through there in the, in the vision that was developed uh, a year ago with that plan. When we implement that, this new high-end hotel, First Internet Bank is six stories tall, it will feel like an urban center in the sense of you will feel like you're in a downtown area, but it will have world-class amenities, things that nobody else in central Indiana really has. Uh, I, I, I think it will be really a crown jewel for the city of Fishers in this area. 
and uh, we'll definitely demonstrate that we're a dynamic and very vibrant uh, city. I've talked, we've done this uh, two, three years in a row now, this end of the year, beginning next year uh, podcast. And I think in every one, I've, I've mentioned something about the uh, people who live in the area of 116th and Allisonville Road. Mm-hmm. And I know that you have street improvements uh, at that intersection in the works because there's been some stacking issues on left turns on Allisonville, north and south. Um, and and you, have, you have planned to, to take care of that. But we've still got that, I guess you call it nothing better than a commercial hole. <laughs> I guess you call it yeah. it's a Fisher Station. I think it is. It's that yeah. uh, where you see Noble Romans and, and, and so Everybody knows things. what you're talking about, Larry. Okay, it's the big the, hole. And, yeah. and it happened because Kroger decided right. not to build a new store. Right. They remodeled a current store on the other side of Allisonville. And I know you and your staff have, have worked hard. And you, your, your response when I ask about this is that the timing needs to be right. Things need to come together. Are you more or less optimistic that you'll get that put together in the coming year? Well, I'm cautiously optimistic. I ran into the developer who owns that development the other day, and uh, he's definitely motivated and out in the market searching for someone to fill that hole. Uh, so I, that that's a positive to me because keep in mind, Kroger is paying rent on that pad. So the the developer did, so they're paying rent on the on the vacant space that's correct i didn't know that okay that that open lot where they were going to build they pay rent uh as if they were there so they're they have an interest in getting that filled they do on some level yes um, but, but there are other complications yeah but <laughs> so I, i'm cautiously optimistic on that front and then this year you know the city because we are proactive we took uh, we partnered with Hageman Development, and we bought the property at the southwest corner, or southeast corner, excuse me, of 116th and Allisonville, that old brown building. Uh, and uh, our plan is to tear that building down and look to redevelop it. And That's so, a long time coming there. It's a long yeah. time coming. That's been a goal of mine for quite mm-hmm. a while. You and, and I've talked about yes, this before. Yeah. We finally were able to come to terms, and we're actively looking for opportunities to refresh that corner. So for the folks that live along 116th and Allisonville, we definitely are trying to be as aggressive as we can to redevelop that area. It will never be to the scale and magnitude of downtown Fishers. That's not the appropriate development pattern for that area. But I do think we can do better than what we've done to date in that area. So, Well, you know, when I moved here in 1991, that was the commercial center yeah, of Fishers. At absolutely. that time, downtown didn't have much going on at that, that particular point in time. You have uh, two new Democrats taking office on the city council in 2020. Um, have you had a chance to meet with both of them? I have, yes. I've sat down with both of them. And uh, what are your impressions based on those discussions? I think I hope everyone is well-intentioned and, and really just wants to do what's in the best interest of the citizens. I don't continue to believe there isn't really a Democratic or Republican way to pave a street or uh, build a fire station. We may have some differences of opinion on development and things of that nature. But one thing I've learned, I've worked with so many different council members over the years. I was thinking the other day about this. And all of them, campaigns will make you um, articulate your differences with your opponents. It'll require you at times to contrast yourself from the current establishment. And what I have found time and time again, whether you're talking about two Republicans in a primary or now whether you're talking about Republicans or Democrats, the tone and tenor of someone coming into office is usually entirely different than a year into office, or at least you hope so, because you realize 
that no decision is ever as black and white as you might think. And you're not always um, completely up to speed with what could happen, what are the consequences of your decisions. And so when people finally do sit in that chair as a council member and you realize, wait a second, these are, these are complicated policy decisions that I have to make, and I'm not going to make everyone happy. And uh, I always love when people say, well, I'm going to listen to the people, which I appreciate that intent. Um, the people have very different opinions about what should happen from time to time. And you have to filter all that and do what you genuinely believe is in the best interest of, of your community and let the chips fall where they do during campaign time. So we're excited to work with all of our council members. We're motivated to find what are the things that, where are the commonalities, where are the common ground. We're going to openly communicate with all nine council members. Um, we're going to treat everyone the same unless for some reason we're given a reason why we have to act So you otherwise. will st start off with working with all the members uh, as equals and, and uh, yes. having them all have input? Yes, and so forth. absolutely. Because there are cities where that doesn't happen. I, uh, yes, and I think our residents would demand that we operate professionally and transparently with all nine on the board. And we've got to find ways to work together on issues that are important for the community. I mean, that is an absolute must. And so regardless of whether you have an R or D behind your name, that's what we were hired to do. I try to remind people, I've covered Fishers uh, for almost nine years now. And just because everybody's a Republican doesn't mean everybody agrees. We were moving toward a five to four vote on the council in the last meeting when the petitioner uh, withdrew the request to, to rework it and talk to the members. So uh, there are a lot of different opinions within the political parties. So I'll just leave it for at, sure at that. Uh, Leah McGrath has departed your staff as deputy mayor. We talked to her recently, and she has uh, some very interesting plans of working in the private sector and and uh, becoming a candidate herself for, for political office. So as, as you look at that, will you reorganize your staff? Have you decided how you're going to uh, do things now that Leah's departed? Well, certainly wish Leah the very best. She was a great member of our team, very talented woman, and Look forward to seeing what she does in her next venture. Um, at this time, I will not be backfilling that position, so we will not have two deputy mayors. Elliot Hulkrin is a bright young man who works uh, works with us here, and he'll be the deputy mayor. Uh, we're going to take some time. I sat down with him and Chris Greisler, city attorney, for an extended meeting once we knew Leah was leaving, and we really discussed what do we think is the best structure moving forward. And right now we're gonna we're gonna wait and see where the gaps are. We know there will be gaps with her departure, um, but we really want to figure out what those are, and then go try to find the right person to fill that. And so right now we're we're just making sure we're covering covering everything that Leo was working on, and we'll evaluate moving forward. But I don't think you can anticipate, at least for the foreseeable future, two deputy mayors uh, in in my administration. I see Chris Jensen the. Uh Mayor, that's an incoming mayor in Noblesville, has dipped into your staff and taken the assistant city attorney yeah. and made Lindsay Bennett and uh, appointed her as his city attorney. Yeah, well, you know, look, we hire, I think we hire really great, talented people here. They do tremendous work, and every time a new mayor comes around, uh, around this area, uh, inevitably people get hard looks for positions in those administrations to move up. And, you know, Lindsay was great. She came here. She has a tremendous amount of 
background in municipal law, and uh, we wish her the best up in Noblesville. The State of the City address you gave in 2019 surprised a lot of people. You were making the case for regionalism, and uh, it was an eye-opener because you provided some data that was, that was, was pretty stark. Indiana does, unfortunately, lag in a number of areas, and, and when you are competing nationally to try to get people to locate here, I'm talking about commercial interests, jobs, that sort of thing, you're competing with areas that may have better numbers than Indiana has. And you were trying to make your case, I think, for regionalism by saying we have work to do. And some people said, well, you know, why, Mayor, did you accentuate that? And I think that was your point was you wanted to press the idea that regionalism is important. Having said that, and it's going to be a while before you give your next State of the City address. Yeah. It'll be later on uh, in 2020. Yep. Have you thought at all about what the the general uh, – area or, or a precision, I wouldn't say precision, but the direction of the, the speech may be? I don't know. Uh, I'd put a lot of pressure on myself for the state of the city. I feel like if that many people are willing to come hear me talk, I should probably have something substantive to talk about. And so I really can't imagine a scenario where I'm coming and just regurgitating the projects that have already been announced or, you know, pictures of trails and things like that. I just, when, when I go there, I always try to think about what's on my mind and where do I see things going and what is the, what is the conversation I want to have with the community? Because it usually foretells a little bit about where I'm going to go next. So a few years back, I think it was my first day of the city, I laid out uh, an argument for a smart, vibrant, entrepreneurial city. And I laid out a vision for creating a downtown. That that was all to say, this is where my head is at and this is what I intend to apply myself towards. Uh, whether the same thing with mental health and uh, just recently with the regionalism. I fundamentally believe in regionalism. I think it is so vital to the long-term uh, sustainability of not only Fishers, but Indianapolis as a whole. And before I leave office, it's something that I want to see be done. And, uh, and I wanted to articulate to my constituents why I thought that was so important. And so I don't know exactly what I'm going to talk about, but it's one of those unique opportunities you have to really lay out your argument for why. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you going to go do what you're going to go do? And that's what I try to put as much energy and time as I can into that conversation. So it'll don't know yet what it is, but uh, I, I look forward to every year. I look forward to putting it together. And then I realize every year I've set the bar of not using written. I never have a written speech. And so then that always that can stress me out from time to time, because when you're dealing with two little kids, you're like, you know, how am I going to, you know, think of what I want to say for 40 minutes, but it usually comes together every year. That's my last question. You've got two young men, and I would think both of them now are pretty excited about Christmas. We're, we're uh, yeah. recording this the day before Christmas so Eve. So I got, uh, yeah, I got a five-year-old and a uh, 16-month-old. The 16-month-old uh, really only looks, I've never seen a 16-month-old eat as much as my son does. So uh, he, uh I don't know that he cares about Christmas so much as anything he can eat, but my five-year-old, you know that age, Larry, very mm -hmm. well as being a dad. Uh, it's such a great time to witness them seeing everything. And I have to tell you, I have to put a plug in. I 
this year, my wife and I are big fans of getting your kids out and about on the weekends. So we're very active and we went to, um, Connor Prairie for their new Mary Prairie, um, program. And, uh, we were at new fields, uh, on Saturday. And what I love about what's happened in Indianapolis, even in the time that I've lived here over the last decade or more, it's almost like a rebirth or a, a renaissance in the wintertime. I mean, the amount of things that you can now do in our region uh, in the wintertime is really pretty extraordinary. Whereas before, when I first moved here, there there weren't that many things once it got cold that you could go with your family and go do. And I told Norman uh, Burns the other day out at Connor Prairie after my wife and boys had been there, I'm like, you you hit a home run here. This is this is fantastic. And so I, you know, I I applaud that, and I wish everyone uh, that is, lives here to go out and engage and, and get out of your home and go experience some of these things because they're really pretty remarkable. And you don't have a, a bad uh, light display here at City Hall either. No, it's not bad at all. It's great to walk around down here, and I love this time of year. Maybe it's because I am from the the, the northern plains, but. Uh, Saturday when my kids were bundled up and we were roasting marshmallows at new fields, I thought how fortunate I am to live in a region where you have these types of amenities that you can go engage in. And uh, I hope I hope more of our residents do that. Having grown up in Indianapolis, born in 1951, I would have to say, yeah, there was nothing like this before. No. So it, even the Indianapolis Motor Speedway has a huge light yep, show. Absolutely. So there are people getting into that act. Anything that uh, you would like to add before we, we go? No, I mean, I think... Again, I'm excited for 2020. It will be a year of change like it always is in Fishers. Uh, we've got a good team here. Uh, we look forward to working with our new council, and uh, we look forward to another great year in the city of Fishers. Mayor Scott Fadness, thank you so much. Thanks, Larry. This podcast has been brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. My local news blog follows news in and around the Fishers area, so check it out. Once again, find it at LarryInFishers.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter, at LarryInFishers. My name is Larry Lannon. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.